This morning's scripture lesson is Isaiah chapter 11, the first 10 verses. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb, the leopard shall lie with the kid, the calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. Listen to the voice of the Spirit speaking to the church. Would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, fall afresh on us this morning and open us for your word to us. We pray in Christ's good name. Amen. So last Sunday after church, my wife Laura and I and our two kids, we made our annual trek to a farm, it's just outside of Sedalia, to get our Christmas tree. They grow and cut the trees there on the farm, and every few days they bring them around to a large barn, and you can come and pick one out. So these are no fancy-schmancy Douglas fir Park Hill trees. These are real trees. They're scraggly and misshapen and character-building trees. And since it was late in the afternoon when we got there, there was, the pickings were even slimmer than usual. So we got a good price on a lovely S-shaped model <laughs> with gaps between some of the limbs so big you could ride a reindeer through them. The guy who helped us, feeling badly, I think, gave me a tip, which I thought was brilliant, and until I uh, shared it with the program staff that following Tuesday, and they informed me that everybody knows this. So, apparently I am the only one who did not know that you can take the trunk of a tree, and where there's gaps, you drill a hole at an angle, right? You take the leftover limbs, maybe the ones you cut off the bottom, and you whittle the tip down, and you stick them in the hole, and voila, fancy schmancy tree. <laughs> did you know this, some of you? It works. It really did work. So when I read the lectionary choices that I had to choose from today, you can understand why I felt drawn to the opening lines of Isaiah 
and a shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Jesse was uh, King David's father, you'll remember, and the Israelites believed that their savior would come from the house of David, the lineage of David, an idea taken up by the early Christians who saw in Jesus this prophecy fulfilled, which is all very important. But what I really want to talk about today are stumps. Stumps. They're fascinating, really, aren't they? Sometimes I've been walking in a forest and see a, a huge tree fallen over and the stump there with its moss-covered, jagged edges, or come across a hillside of trees felled by avalanche or, or clear-cut, and those stumps there, they're like gravestones. They, they mark the dead, honor the fallen. Stumps are placeholders and memory keepers. We, we look at a stump and you can almost see the tree that was there. Right? You can almost feel the shade of, of a mighty cottonwood or hear the rustle of the leaves of a quaking aspen. Smell again the cedar's perfume. Stumps whisper to us about the presence of things not there. Last week for Thanksgiving dinner, we went to Laura's dad's house down in Centennial. And as some of you know, Laura's mom, uh, she died almost two years ago now, complications from Alzheimer's. And since last year we spent the holidays at my parents' house, this was the first Thanksgiving we had spent at their house since she died. And we sat down at the dining room table, five of us at a table uh, with six chairs around it. And everyone had their assigned seats, same ones we've had since the kids were little, which meant that Marge's chair was empty. And at first I was so sad, as I'm sure we all were, about this, and thought for a moment that we should have just removed the chair, or at least mixed up the way we were sitting. But then I was glad to have the chair there. It felt right and um, important. And I'll tell you, I have never seen a chair, an empty chair, that was so obviously occupied. I could see her sitting there. I, I could almost hear her talking to our children. I could almost smell her perfume. That chair whispered to us about the presence of things not there. The Japanese have a concept called ma. We just, we spell it M-A, ma. And ma describes the importance of the spaces between and around things, the empty spaces, the, the negative space in a drawing or the white space on a page, the silence between the notes of a piece of music. Most of you, have probably, many of you have probably seen the excellent Monet exhibit downtown. Monet was a master of composition and he intuitively understood this idea of Ma. He knew that sometimes the most important part of the painting was not the subject of the painting, but the sky or the water. He understood the presence of things not there. 
There was an article I read describing Ma as, quote, an emptiness full of possibilities, like a promise yet to be fulfilled. An emptiness full of possibilities, like a promise yet to be fulfilled. And I was struck when I read that by how much it reminded me of the ways that we talk about Advent. You know, this time of year is so busy and so full of rushing around and getting gifts and end-of-year events that we forget that both in the rhythm of this church, of churches, and in the natural world's rhythm, this is a quiet time of year. This is a dark time of year, a time to rest. Just as for the earth, this is a time of fallow fields and empty gardens. For the church, this is a time to pause in quiet reflection, to honor the spaces in between, and to prepare our hearts for something that is not yet. And I've been wondering lately if if sometimes the absence of a thing can be a thing in itself. That makes sense? Not just a memory of an, or an echo of something that's been lost, but something real in its own right, with its own presence and its own relationship with us. For example, this is going to sound a little strange. I feel like I continue to have a relationship with my mother-in-law. And it feels like something more than just her memory. We talk. I ask her advice about my children. I feel her in a way that, while certainly is not the same, still feels real to me. And here's the really strange thing. It occurred to me the other day that in some ways, she and I are closer now. Because I feel, a, I feel a freedom to talk to her about things that I probably wouldn't have talked to her about. And I feel like she says things to me that she probably wouldn't have said, things, said to me. And of course it's not the same as having her here. And I would give anything to have her here physically. Especially for my children to have their grandmother. But the presence of her absence has been a gift to me. And I don't know what to do with it, but I am grateful for it. It's interesting, I think, to consider what it means that while you and I are, while we exist in space and time, that God does not. And that maybe those who are no longer blessed with and confined by these bodies might also be free to be in a kind of relationship with us that doesn't play by the old rules. And I'm not talking about ghosts or anything like that. I don't really know what I'm talking about. And I wonder if maybe we don't get to know while we are embodied in space and time. Which brings me back to Jesus. In Jesus, God becomes flesh, takes on a body. Maybe so that for a time, God doesn't need to whisper of things not there. 
Maybe so that we might get to know each other, us and God, in a way that can only be known, embodied. And now, at Advent, we wait for a different kind of birth, right? not one of space and time. Last week, Nadia reminded us in her sermon that Jesus is the one who was and who is and who shall be. Because time and space, they collapse in the mystery of God in Christ. They don't, they don't matter. And Advent is the invitation to slow down enough that we might glimpse Jesus slipping into the world, into the negative space, the silence between the notes. It all makes me wonder if it was a mistake to add those limbs to our Christmas tree. Maybe it's best in Advent to leave a few gaps, to ponder the bare patches, to honor the empty chair, and to listen for God in the pause between the words. <laughs>